Okay, but you're still going to touch it, right? Before oh, we actually yeah. start, can I ask you a question about something this one doesn't yesterday? Need to be. Uh, if I can remember, yeah. <laughs> All right, so was the Shekhinah uh, like just as strong after the Tikkun as it was uh, during the time of Adam? No. Good question. No, certainly not. Right? I mean, I mean it was also temporary. Because it wasn't really the ultimate fixing. Because that hasn't happened yet. I mean, that was bringing about a certain situation which is very, very, very real. In Kedesh HaKadoshim, yes. Right? In Kedesh HaKadoshim, no different. That's why during Bayashani, even when there wasn't an iron there, Kedesh HaKadoshim was an empty room in Bayashani. And it even says that there wasn't a Gilu Ishkin in Bayashani like there was in Bayashrishin. And still, the Kayan Godel died 35 years straight going into Kurdish Gadoshin because he wasn't fit to be there, right? He used to tie a rope around his leg and pull him out. Never quite understood why the 15th guy went in, but anyway. <laughs> you know, I guess they all... No, I mean, it's simple shot, and it's really, it seems to be shot, is that they were, they were willing to be Mason Nefesh to experience whatever they were going... Even though they weren't fit to be there, meaning they had issues. Uh, issues. I mean, uh, was I mean issues? I mean, it's all relative, right? They weren't fit to be the current Gadol to go in there, and they bribed their way to become the current Gadol. <coughs> corruption at the time of the end of the Second Temple. Okay, fine, but they were, you know, still from Yidden, and kept Chavis and ate kosher food. And so they they, they knew they were going to die. Hmm? When they knew they were going to die when they went. Well, you would assume if you're the fifteenth guy and the previous fourteen didn't make it, and you knew some of them, right? It's not like they didn't know who the other Kohanim were that were serving in the base of Mikdash. And they said, well, you know, Yankel didn't make it, and Yankel's a pretty early chayid. Gets up in the morning, goes to mikvah, learns a couple of hours chassidus, davens barichas. You know, he just wasn't quite up to scratch to be the current gadol. So if he didn't make it, so I guess I won't. And yet they were willing to go in there. Then after that streak, was there anybody who? That was basically the end, as far as I know. It was, like, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a very long time. It was, it was a couple of decades of. They would, they, they would tie a rope around his leg. No one could go get him, right? right. They tie a rope around the leg of the kind Gadol so that if he died in there, they could pull him out. So did the Mufarshim have an easier time understanding the golden calf relative to Adam's sin because? Uh, like Shekhinah isn't as great or that doesn't really affect them. You know, a little bit easier, but still a difficult story, right? The simplest shot is the Eretiv Rav. It was all the people who came up from Mitzrayim who, okay, Beseda, but still a difficult story. And still, ultimately, Chazal say that, that you know, one of the Drochim in Chazal in understanding Chet uh, Egel is exactly the same as Chet Eitzadas because the two events are very, very similar. The Ebsha creates a perfect world and destroys it in order that that perfect world should be recreated through Torah. The Ebsha brings the Torah into the world which perfects the world. What does it say? Pascha Zuhamazim, that there was no, the Tuma left the world at, at the time of Matan Torah, destroys that world again. Why? Well, because it's still not us, it's still him. And now, you and I, now we're ready to go. We have a Torah. The world is where it's supposed to be. You and I have a Torah. There's a Jewish people. We're ready to go. Okay, now, go fix the world. Then, so to speak, the history of the world starts. And that's exactly what Chazal say, right? The Yom Hashishi, that the whole creation of the world was hanging in the balance until, until Matan Torah. They're very similar events. The creation of a perfect reality and the destruction <coughs> of that reality by something that's very difficult to understand. Like, what were they doing? Right? They just heard Lo Rashi, Lo was said in singular. Maybe they thought it was only to Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, that's a nice pretext for them to use, but it's still an interesting pshat, right? I mean, come on, who would say pshat in, 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 in the Pasuk that way? Okay. Okay, we got down to uh, Tzadikim. We didn't quite finish the headline. The first half of the page is the headline of the of the mimer, and then uh, and then the explanation of everything. Okay, v'zehu, two, four, six, eight, ten, two, eleven lines down. 
The last thing we saw was Asuli Mikdash Vishakanti Besaikham Besaikhai Lainemar. It doesn't say Besaikhai, the third time we've seen a drusha like this, even though this is not from a Medrash, this is from the Rabbit. Ella Besaikham. It doesn't say I'll dwell in it in the base of Mikdash, but rather amongst them. And this is Sadiqim Yushuadu. And this is Pshad, and the Sadiqim will inherit the land and they will dwell. Now, simple Pshad, forever upon it. Fine, okay. So the Rebbe explains that I'll be this. The Tzadikim Yerushuaretz, the Tzadikim will inherit the land. What's that? Shuganeidim. Meaning they'll inherit that place of tremendous revelation. Mipnei ma, why? Why are the Tzadikim privileged to such a state? Lefi shehem, and now the, next, the word is v'yishkanu in the Pasuk, which is, is kal form, they will dwell, kal. But the Rebbe learns it as causative. Yashkinu, they will cause to dwell. Lefisha mashkinim, they cause to dwell. Hainu mamshichim, that means they draw down. What are they drawing down? Bechinus shechen ad marem v'kodesh. Ad, what's ad? So now, simple pshat is ad. The simple pshat in the words v'yishkinu la'ad alea means they will, they will dwell on it forever. They will dwell forever on it. La'ad, like lo'yeilam vo'ed. Okay, fine. But that's not the pshat al The pshat al is they will cause to dwell a level of elokus called ad. And what's ad? Sheichen ad. Interesting, same words. The one who dwells in ad, which is marem v'kodesh, which is lofty and transcendent. In other words, Ad is a lofty and transcendent state of reality. And who dwells there? The Abishter. Sheikhain Ad, Marom, Bekadosh, Shemo. Right? Okay? You remember that from Hillel House in college? Okay. So, so right? That, that Sheikhain Ad. So, what's Sheikhain Ad? So simple pshat in Sheikhinat also is that the, the Abishta dwells until the lofty places. But the Panemius says, no, that Ad is that lofty place. He's Sheikhin in that reality called Ad, which is Marem Vakadesh. Lofty and transcendent. In other words, the, the, the pshat in the end of the Pasuk that we just read, Vayishkanu, Altikre Vayishkanu, Vayashkinu, they caused to dwell the level of Ad, meaning a transcendent level of godliness, Aleha, on it. That's the tzaddikim. Meaning they bring about a revelation of Elokus in, in Elam Hazel. And therefore, they merit that revelation. That that lofty transcendent level, modern Vakadesh, should be revealed below. The word ad can mean eternal, can also mean jewelry, something ornamental. Right? It says by the Yidden after after Chaita Ego, which Gabi brought up. He wanted to, learning about Chaita Tzadas wasn't enough for us. We had to also figure, you know, we had to get all the biggies in there. So, so, uh, so, uh, by Chet says, it says they got rid of Ed Yam. Ed Yam were considered their ornaments, which was their crowns. Right? They lost their crowns. What crowns did we have? We had these two crowns from Nasev and Ishma. We lost our crowns. I Meaning we lost that level of connection to Akadosh Baruch Hu. The crown being that level which is beyond Tamvadas, beyond rational thought, on top of the head. Vezeo, and now the end of the first part. Vezeo, and this is Pshat, we're back to the beginning. Basi Lagani, I've come to my garden. Lignuni, to my resting place. Lamakim Shai Kare Betchila, to the place that was his original place. De Ikushkinabatachtenim, I saw that the essence of Shina was in the lower realms. Period. End of headline. Okay, that's that's what we have to understand in the Mayan. Bira Indian, right? Now the Indian who, right? And the matter is like this. And the Rebbe is now going to explain that. But the whole Mimer is explaining that. What we just learned. Basi Lagani I've come back to my garden. How do I know I've come back? Because it says Gani, not Gan. It doesn't say I've come to a garden, I've come to my garden. In other words, I must have been here, left and come back. Otherwise, why is it my garden if I was never here? Right? Okay. 
Now, it's theoretically possible that I could go for the first time to my house. I bought a house and now I went to it. Okay, but the simple shot is I'm coming home. More, back. Most of the times you go to your own house, you go back to your own house. That's the way it works. Right? Okay. So, so that's shot in the Pasuk. I've come back to my garden. Well, where did you go? Well, we understand that there was a, a, a time that, of, where the world was pushing godliness out of it. And there was a time when the world was busy bringing godliness back into the world. The times of Avram Yitzhak, etc. Okay, now, obviously, and this is definitely what, what Gabi asks is an important question, obviously that tikkun was only temporary, because ultimately what that brought about was the Mishkan, which turned into the Mikdash, and that was destroyed. All right, the ultimate tikkun is the tikkun that we're going to, we're going to see with our own eyes when Mashiach comes. That, 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 that's, that's the ultimate tikkun of it all, the ultimate fixing of it all, all right? which is Darashvi, which is why the Rebbe said, Kolashvin Chavivin, all sevenths are dear. Okay, what does this all mean? Tihine. Tachlis hakavana, the ultimate intention, Babrias, Vishavus, Ailamis, in the creation and the bringing into being, right? We've seen this word before, we talked about it, said you're going to see it a lot in Chsidis. Lihiot is to be, Lihavot is to cause to be, which is, of course, something that you and I can't do. We can't cause something to be. We don't give it its being, we might give it its form. Talked about yesterday, right? Take a piece of clay and turn it into something else. We don't give it its being. Its being is the is the same being in the, as a piece of clay as it is when it's uh, turned into a kiddush gun. right? But but the 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 so we we give it some sort of form, but the actual being we can't do. Only a kaddish baruch Hu can do that, and that's called lihavot to cause to be hit havut the bringing into being. The ultimate purpose of brias the creation havus and the bringing into being of elamis. The worlds, all of the worlds, even the upper metaphysical worlds, which is what the Rebbe is going to teach us about in the fourth, in the in the first chapter. We're going to learn about the four worlds. That's what we're about to learn about. <coughs> Didn't he, why did a Kaddish Boko create the create the world? Well, there's a number of different reasons brought in Chazal, and one of those reasons brought in a Medrash Tanhuma, Parshas Nosei. That a Kaddish Baruch had a taiva, that there should be for him a dwelling place in the lower realms. Now I have to understand what that means. Right? Also, the, the whole notion that Chazal talk about a Kaddish Baruch having a taiva, we've spoken about this before also. Right? The fact that it's referred to in Chazal, in the Medrash, it doesn't say a Kaddish Baruch Ratzah. That he wanted a dear betachtenim. Said he had a taiva for a dear betachtenim. What's the difference between a taiva and a ratzon? A taiva is something that can't be explained rationally. Right? Oh, you see, it wasn't a taiva today. I just forgot. I already had a cup of coffee, so I, I, I just, I, it wasn't a taiva to have a cup of tea because perfectly reasonable to have a cup of tea in the morning. When might it be a taiva to have a cup of tea? If you just finished walking or running. You went running in the, in the midday sun in Yerushalayim and you're coming back and you're absolutely schwitzing. Now, of course, normally, what's a normal thing to want? Nice cold water or something. I have a taiva for a cup of tea. That's a funny thing to want. You're boiling hot. Why would you want a cup of tea? I don't know. The whole run, I had this taiva for a cup of tea. I was like looking forward to having this nice hot cup of tea. That's a taiva. Can't be explained rationally. I just want, that's what I wanted. Right? Someone has a taiva to wear their favorite sweater in July in Yerushalayim. What are you wearing a sweater for? It's 90 degrees. I don't have a taiva to put on my sweater. It says Dodgers on it. Is that number 32? Sandy Koufax. Oh, Sandy Koufax. Day. <laughs> Izzy, were you a Sandy Koufax fan when you were a kid? Everybody was a Sandy Koufax fan. Every Jewish kid in America was a Sandy Koufax fan when we were kids. It's just, it was just part of the reality, being a Sandy Koufax fan. Jewish kid made good. Right? Okay. So the Abish had a taifa. No, they became the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1958. He started before that, but he was no good. He didn't get good until 1960, <laughs> once they were in L.A. He was from Brooklyn, right? He had a taifa. 
Meaning we can't explain why it is that in the world that the Ebrishter would want a Dir There's no rational reason. Meaning even if you, what does that mean? That means even if you were to discuss this, you can't do this, but were you to have a discussion with the highest level of a Kaddish Baruch Chochmah, of a Kaddish Baruch wisdom, Kaddish Baruch intellect, so to speak, that level of godliness couldn't explain to you why it is a Kaddish Baruch who wanted a Dir because in Elokus, there's something beyond intellect, even beyond his intellect. Just like in you, there's something beyond your intellect. And you're, in, you're created in the image of him. There's no intellect beyond his intellect. There's no idea that his intellect can't understand, obviously. Right? Because he's the source of all intellect. But intellect can't understand everything. Right? Intellect can't understand emotions. Right? You can't prove love in a laboratory. That doesn't mean love doesn't exist. There are people who think you can't, that there's no reason to believe in God because you can't prove God in a laboratory. Well, I guess those people don't believe in love either because you can't prove love in a laboratory. It's not an idea, it's an emotion. You can't prove emotions in a laboratory. Oh, well, but when people experience love, we measured it and there's something different. Prove to me that's called love. Well, we just sort of accept it as called that. Okay, but prove to me that's what it is. Okay. Can't. Why not? It's not an idea. It's an emotion. Right? So emotions aren't intellectual ideas, so they can't be talked about intellectually. That's why people write Poems, Adem Seif, infinite amount of poems and, and, and literature trying to describe love, and they can't. I mean, they sort of can. To who? To someone who's experienced it. But they can't really describe it because it's not, it's not, it's not an intellectual idea. So you can describe it to someone who experienced it. They'll relate to your description by virtue of their emotional experience, not their intellectual experience. And if they never experienced love, so then they won't know what you're talking about. Okay. <coughs> so we might call an emotion lower than intellect. It's not intellect. So there's things beyond intellect. I mean, that's sort of obvious in, you know, Baruch Hashem. We live in a time where these ideas are so easily explained because modern psychology gave us a language of whenever it was, 100, whenever, 100 and what, 30 years ago when these guys were hanging out in Vienna and, you know, psychoanalyzing each other, all these Jews. So, so when, when they were all doing this in the what, late 19th century, so they created a language called conscious and superconscious and subconscious. Well, that language is so useful to explain Hasidus. Hasidus already had that language. It just was harder to explain to someone who didn't know Hasidus because it was a foreign language to everybody else. Now it's just part of everybody's vernacular. Superconscious reality. What does that mean? Something beyond intellect. Right. That's what it means. Okay. Your love for your father is because you intellectually understand that he's a good guy? That's absurd. <laughs> Obviously, your love for him is much deeper than that. It's coming from a much deeper place than simply intellectual understanding. Because you, as a matter of fact, your love for him on a certain level, meaning your emotional expression relative to his entrance into the room was much more powerful when you were three than it is now. When you were three, you started jumping all over the place when he came in the room and you, and you, daddy, daddy, and you ran up to him and you jumped into his arms. You know, you probably don't do that. Right? Why not? Well, because the more, the more intellect, the less... Ex, the, the, the less outward expression of emotion. Adults' emotions are much more even-keeled than children's emotions because adults are more sophisticated intellectually and it's just the two tend to, one tends to temper the other. It doesn't mean they don't feel the emotion. The love is actually, they appreciate the love in a much deeper and more sophisticated way <coughs> the older they get. They just don't express it in the same way. Why? Well, because... 20-year-olds don't jump up and down when they're happy and scream and yell. Aah! They just don't do that unless their team just scored. But other than that, they don't do that. It's not a normal adult response to something positive. It's a very normal five-year-old response to something positive. Right? Guess what? We're going on a vacation and the five-year-olds are jumping up and down. 
And the husband and wife are, oh, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really excited. Why aren't you jumping up and down? Because I'm an adult. And adults don't jump up and down. It's just not what they do. It doesn't mean they're not happy. It's just not what adults do. And if they do, then they're rather immature adults. It's not a normal adult response. Okay, fine. So that's, you know, intellect and emotion have that relationship with each other. But that being said, you know that your connection to certain people is super rational. It's not based on intellectual understanding. You appreciate your relationship more as you grow older because you are more sophisticated. It doesn't mean that the relationship is stronger. It is what it is. It's what you and I would call an essential connection, right? You have an essential connection to someone. Okay. Transcends intellect. So, on some level, transcending intellect, God decided he wanted a dear betachtenim, he wanted a dwelling place in the lower realms. Why? Don't know. Ask God. God's wisdom will say, I don't know. Ask the essence of God, he'll say, I had a taiva. What does that mean? I don't know. Kaka. Well, Meaning it's completely and totally super rational. That there should be a revelation of Elokus below Al through the service of people. In other words, the Dear Betachtenim was not simply that a Kaddish Baruch who wants to be revealed in this world. Because if, if, if he wants to be revealed in this world, then we have a very simple. Simple request. So reveal yourself. What do you want from me? Just, I mean, you, you don't know how to reveal yourself? You're kol yachol. You can do anything you want. You are absolutely beyond limitation in any way, shape, or form. To such an extent that we spent a long time talking about this in the last mimer we learned, but it's such an important idea. God's not infinite. Infinite is limited in, in the fact that it can only be expressed in an infinite way. God's not infinite. He's the source of infinite and the source of finite. He's beyond infinite. Don't get stuck in infinity. That's a limited state of reality. What does it mean? Can't be expressed in finite. That's the nature of limit, infinity. It's not finite. God's not, not anything. It's beyond anything. Any description, any state of reality that exists must on some level exist in him. So finitude exists in him just like in, infinity exists in him. Don't limit him. He wants to create a world where he's revealed, so he can create a world where he's revealed. He can do anything he wants. He's absolutely beyond limitation. If God wanted to make the, the, the I mean, this is like Kleinegeld for God. This is like, you know, nothing. He wants to make the, the lights spin around and sing happy birthday the, the Yossi, so then it'll, the lights will spin around and sing happy birthday Yossi. Big deal. What, for the Abishter, what's that? That's like a big deal. Right? He created all of existence. Physical, metaphysical, and everything beyond. Okay. So if he wants to create a world where he's revealed, so create a world where you're revealed. What do you want from me? But that's not what he wanted. He didn't want to create a world where he's revealed. He wanted to create a world where the world reveals him. You and I reveal him here. That's what he wanted. Why? Kacha! Right? The saying in Chassidus by a by a taiva fragment kind kashas by a, by a, a taiva a person doesn't ask questions. Because you can't ask a question about a taiva. Why are you drinking tea? I had a taiva for tea. Now, there's no question after that. Why did you have a taiva? What do you mean, why did I have a taiva? I don't know why I had a taiva. I had a taiva for tea. I don't know why I had a taiva for tea. I agree, it's a funny thing. Stop bothering me. You're being a nudnik, asking someone why I had a taiva for tea. That's just a nudnik. Okay. So the had a taiva. That's the language Chazal learned, the use. That there should be a gilu elokus lamata al yedei avedis adam. Not simply a gilu elokus lamata, because if you want to do that, so do it. What's the big deal? And he did. He created Gan Eden, destroyed it. Gave the Torah and recreated that state of perfection, destroyed that. Chet Eagle. Right? We know that. Okay. So if he wants to do it, he can do it. He can do anything he wants. It's not limited. Don't, don't make God in your image. Al yedei iskafia v'ishafcho. Through iskafia, and the Rebbe is going to explain these two different levels of Aveda. Iskafia is subduing. What? We're going to have to subdue our Nefesh Bahamas, subdue our animal soul, negative inclinations, etc. 
Vishavcha, ultimately, transforming. Subduing and transforming. Right? Two different levels of Aveda. Obviously, first subduing. Right? The cigarette smoker, the first level of his Aveda to stop smoking cigarettes is completely and totally subduing the desire to smoke cigarettes. He's not transforming himself in any way, shape, or form yet. He subdues that desire. The desire is there, he doesn't listen to it, and he doesn't smoke cigarettes, and he goes through two weeks of Gehenim with headaches and nausea and all sorts of stuff until he gets rid of the physical addiction. Then he's got this emotional addiction that's going to last for months. Every time he, I mean, the Eid of Baruch Hashem, I was never a cigarette smoker. Otherwise, I'd still be one. I wouldn't have the guts to quit. But, but the... the the, the, every, every cigarette smoker says the same thing. After a meal, the first thing they want is to have a cigarette, and that takes months before they get over that. Okay, and he goes through all of that hard work. He's kafya. He subdues himself. He forces himself. Kfiya means to force. He forces himself not to do something that he realizes is bad for him. Okay. At a certain point, he can reach a state of isafcho, transformation, where he's no longer a cigarette smoker. As a matter of fact, he'll find this, when, when a guy who just had a cigarette walks by him, he'll find the smell as obnoxious as the rest of us. Right? Guy smells like an ashtray. Right? Who would want to smell that way? Well, cigarette smokers don't smell it, right? First of all, they don't smell it because they're used to it. Secondly, they don't smell it because their sense of smell has been, and taste, taste and smell has been completely dulled by the cigarette. First thing cigarette smokers say after they quit smoking is what? They tasted food for the first time in years. Their taste buds have been completely dulled by the, by the cigarettes. Then all of a sudden they go, wow. It's like someone today eating an apple that isn't the apples that you find in the supermarkets that don't taste like the apples that I remember growing up. I hate to be one of these old guys who talks about that, but apples used to have a taste. Now they're just mass-produced on trees. How they do this, I don't know, but they used to have this incredible, when you eat a real apple, wow. Remember what an apple used to taste like? It just like bursts in your mouth. Now it's sort of like mm, dull taste. Sort of like an apple. Real apples? Non whatever generated apples? Go to Australia. They're all real there. <laughs> Queensland produces some of the best fruit you'll ever taste. It tastes like real fruit, like fruit used to taste like. Okay, so that's evidently what cigarette smokers go through. Okay, the first step of stopping is kafia. To force myself not to smoke. I, I, I want a cigarette. Of course I want a cigarette. I can't, I can't not want a cigarette. I don't have control over that. That's superconscious me, my want. I don't have direct control over what I want. I have direct control over what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, and what I'm doing. But I do not have control over what I want. I can't not want a cigarette. I want one. Okay, but I don't have to smoke one. That I have control over. But I, I, I can't not want. Over time, what can I do? I can transform my desires. Even my, subcon my subconscious or superconscious desires can change. So that now, after five months of not smoking, I don't want a cigarette anymore. Wow, amazing. But that takes time. Cannot have immediate control over my superconscious or subconscious desires. It's not conscious me. The only thing I have control over, immediate control, is... If I decide I'm not going to talk, I don't talk. I have to talk. Nothing's forcing me to talk. I don't want to talk, I won't talk. That I have complete control of. Not wanting to talk? I want to talk. That doesn't mean I'm going to talk. If I decide that talking is not a good idea, then I won't express that desire. That doesn't mean I don't have the desire. The desire is not conscious me, so I don't, have con I don't have immediate control over that. Okay. Relative to the cigarette, I want a cigarette. Okay. But I'm not going to smoke one. Good. Over time, I can transform that subconscious state so that I no longer want a cigarette. But that's only over time. That takes a lot of time. Okay. That's called real change. That's Ishafka, to transform. So there's two different levels of Aveda. Iskafia, to force myself to act or not act in a particular way that I deem reasonable or unreasonable. Visafra, I can bring about real change in myself, but that's over time. Then the Shama tated Lamata, the Neshama descends below Lislavish Baguf to be clothed in the body, Venevjabamis and the animal soul. All of us are made up of three distinct parts, right? Goof, body, which is completely passive, it'll do whatever it's told to do. The animal soul, which is our 
self that that personality where we're conscious of self, that which is responsible for our, our consciousness of our own existence, which is good and amazing and incredible. Right? But it also happens to be the source of everything negative that humankind can manage to think of. Right? Evil only exists because there's a creature on earth called humans. Right? No other creature can do anything evil. Only humans can do something evil. Lions killing antelope on the savanna in Africa isn't evil, it's just lunch. But lions don't decide they're going to go kill every antelope just because it's fun killing them. That they don't do. Right? Why not? Well, because animals just go do what they're naturally programmed to do. They have a chip. So that lion sees an antelope. Something clicks. He goes, oh, I'm supposed to eat that. He sees a tree. He doesn't decide he's going to chase after the tree and, and, and like, take it down and eat it. It doesn't happen. Elephants do that. Only one day in my life, I'm sure Ellie could tell us all about it. Only one day in my life was I ever in, the, uh, in, in one of the game reserves in, in, in South Africa. I had half a day off and I went to Palansburg. Palansburg. So, you know, it's not Kruger, right? But I only had a day and they said, Kruger, you, you'll drive there and you could drive it for six hours. You won't see anything because it's huge. Palansburg is small enough that I could drive around the whole thing in a day. Fine, so I went there, and one thing I did see, there, I saw a lot of amazing antelope and all that. One thing that we saw that was like real, was real, right? So driving along, I saw all these cars parked, so I figured, okay, I'll park, park, and they're all standing on their roofs. So I parked the car, and I stood on the roof of my car, and, and I could see over the trees, and what was there? There was an elephant, a real live one, not a zoo one, like a real elephant. What was he doing? He was trying to push down a tree. He was hungry, so he was leaning with his rear on a tree, and he was pushing. It was one of the most amazing things. It was a real tree, and he's busy pushing on this tree until finally the tree falls over. He pushed over the tree. He broke the tree. It fell over. He went flying when the tree went dead, and then he they picks himself up, and Dustin had watching himself pick himself up was quite a treat. I mean, the guy is huge. He's like, shakes himself off, and all this dust comes off, and then he walks over, and, you know, He's a vegetarian, right? And he's busy eating his leaves, chilling away, eating his leaves, thinking about, you know, I'm cool, I'm chilled. You know, with his trunk, he rips them off and puts them in his mouth. And it was like, wow. Okay, so he knows that he has to go attack a tree. The lion knows he has to go attack uh, an antelope. Right? So the lion, got the lady lion, the man lion just sits there and looks impressive. The ladies go and do all the work, right? So they go hunt and they bring the antelope back and everybody eats the antelope for a couple of days and then, then they go find another one. That's it. That's all they do. And that's what God tells them to do and they don't do anything against the will of God. It's impossible for them to do that. Only humans can do that. Do something that is against the will of God which is the definition of evil. Tsunamis aren't evil. They're tragic but they're not evil. It's not against the will of God. It's obviously what God wanted to happen. Why? I haven't got a clue. Why would he do that? I don't know. But that's not called evil. It's just tragic. What happens to people who are the result of an evil act is not called evil. It's called tragic. The people dying in the McDonald's because some guy went in there with a gun, that's not, they didn't die. Their death isn't evil. Their death is tragic. His action was evil. The result of the action isn't evil. The result of the action is called tragic. What he did is evil. How do you know? Because God said don't do it. So it's evil. We're the only ones who can do that. Why? Because we have this thing called the Nevesh Bahamas, an animal soul. That doesn't mean the animal soul is only the, is the source of evil, evil uh, e e actions. That's not true at all. The animal soul is the source of your consciousness as an independent human being, which is the reason that you showed up in this room this morning. You, as an independent, conscious human being, decided that it's a reasonable thing to get up in the morning and learn about God. That's pretty good. Right? Who decided that? You're never Bahamas. Why? Because that person you referred to as I decided that. Who's I? That experience of I is my Nebuchadnezzar Bahamas. Does that experience always have to be negative? Might be dumb. That's not true at all. That experience is an amazing experience. Incredible. It's the coolest thing in the world to exist. And be aware of it. And conscious of it. But I, I, I can use it for all sorts of horrible things. If I get so hung up in it, then I'll step on you. If I want the shoes on Black Friday, I'll kill you on my way to get the shoes. Right? I mean, look at those shoes. Why eight people in my way? Who cares? Those shoes, they fit. And they're half price. 
Wow. So the holotype has come from one of the palms? Yes. Well, you could theoretically have a type. I mean, what physical type has come from the Nevisimans. You could have a type from your Nevisimans keys, but I mean, that would be, a, you know, a, a super rational desire for a connection to God. Okay, but you and I don't call that typos. Yes, every physical type, every, every desire to express self in any way, shape, or form, whether it's an intellectual desire, a, a, a physical desire, an emotional desire, will come from the... It might even be a physical desire. A spiritual desire can come from the Nebuchadnezzar. I want to feel spiritual. Who wants that? Me. Okay, I'll use God as a prop to help me experience that. That's not my Nevisjello Keys. <laughs> my Nevisjello Keys is not interested in me getting what I want. My Nevisjello Keys is interested in God getting what God wants. Now, I'm the vehicle to bring that about. So my Nevisjello will see that we'll, we'll see this very clearly in the mind room. My Nevisjello has to become the vehicle for the expression of that. Well, that's what's happening by virtue of the fact that you and I are sitting in this room together. Actually, I'm not here because of this. I'm getting. I'm here because I'm getting paid big bucks to do this. But you guys aren't getting paid anything. You actually might even be paying to do this, which is absolutely absurd. I don't know what's wrong with you because you know. But okay, so you're paying to do this. So, but why are you doing this? Well, because your nefesh Bahamis, meaning conscious you, has come to the conclusion that doing this is a reasonable and 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 good thing to do. Why? Might be completely self-serving, in which case it's you know just naked nefesh Bahamis. Or, probably not, it probably involves some expression of your selfless, selfless nefesh elokis expressing itself through your nefesh abanis, your godly soul expressing itself through your animal soul. So your godly soul is thirsting for God, and your animal soul is accommodating it and allowing it to enjoy elokus. Not because I feel good, just because it's, it's good. Right? Not everything we do has to be because I like it or I feel good because of it, right? All those famous people who go build houses for homeless Nicaraguans in the summertime, and when they come back and they ask them, why do they do it? Why do, what do they always Oh, it makes me feel so good to help these people. Oh, that's nice. Now, it is nice what they do, there's no question. But I certainly hope they're not hoping that there's another earthquake in Nicaragua that'll destroy another 2,000 houses so that they can go next summer and feel good again. Oh, I feel so good when I help these people. I hope there's a lot more people I have to help next year because then I'll be feel really good about myself. Whoa. <laughs> that can also happen, right? On Mitzoyim, you ask some Jew, did you put on tefillin? I hope he says no, so I can put on tefillin for him. Wait a minute, I understand. It's good for him to put on tefillin. Hopefully he'll say yes. you go, oh, Baruch Hashem, good. Hopefully you know, won't find anyone the whole day who didn't put on filling. Great. What a successful day. Guys will come back and say, oh, how was that? Oh, it was a terrible day. Why? We didn't find anybody who hadn't put on filling. Well, that's great. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, everybody's putting on filling. There was one guy on the street of Yerushalayim who didn't put on filling that morning. Amazing. Oh, no, it was a terrible day. I wanted to hit 20. 20 what? I was hoping there's all sorts of people who didn't put on filling. One guy, I told him, do me a favor, tomorrow don't put on filling, so maybe I'll find you on the street and I'll be able to put it on. So I'll feel good about myself. That's sort of the wrong idea, right? So that, the Nefesh Bahamis can do that for sure. He's good, he's amazing at that. He's so creative. Okay. But uh, we think about it for a minute, we realize that's crazy. Okay, so that's, that's the way Nefesh Bahamis works. Then the Shema comes below and it clothes, clothes itself, meaning it expresses itself in the goof. The goof is completely parav. The goof will do whatever it's told to do. The body will do whatever it's told to do. It doesn't have a mind of its own. Right? The body will take a dollar out of your, your pocket and put it into someone else's hand or take a dollar out of his pocket and put it in your pocket. Your hand will do either of those. Whichever you tell it to do, it will do. What are you telling it to do? To steal money or to give tzedakah? That's up to you, isn't it? Your body is completely passive. And there's two personalities, the Nefesh Bahamis and the Nefesh Elokis. Tanya. So the Neshama, which is completely godly, descends into the world into the, and is clothed in the body of the Nefesh Bahamis. Vahem and they, naturally, what do they do? Yalimu v'yastir al-ar neshama. They conceal and hide the light of the Neshama. 
That's the natural state of the Nevesh The Nevesh without any education, will be involved in self. That doesn't mean it will be nasty, horrible, terrible. Might be a very wonderful, warm, caring, loving person, but it will be involved in self. It won't transcend self without education, because that's its natural state. Okay. And it will do what it does because it seems reasonable to me and good for me. That doesn't mean what I'm doing is a bad thing. It can be an amazing thing. Just there's a level beyond that. Doing it for something beyond me, something bigger than me. That's the Nevesh Elkis. But they naturally hide the light of the Neshama. Because that's the nature of this world. Someone said this world, the, 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 the sports analogy, this world is a home game for the Nevesh Bahamis. When the home team scores, what happens? The place goes wild. When the other team scores, what happens? Silence. In hockey analogy, you can hear the skates on the ice when the other team scores. It's quiet. Okay, when your Nefesh Bahami scores in Elam Hazza, it gets what it wants. <laughs> wow! When your Nefesh Elokis gets what it wants in Elam Hazza, you don't see too many Jews putting on tefillin going, oh. And if they do, it's probably all dead. They're a little weird, right? You put on tefillin, what's happening? You're, you're like this explosion of your Nefesh Elokis? Probably not. <laughs> what tastes better, putting on tefillin or chocolate pudding? Honestly. Chocolate pudding tastes better than putting on filling. Like, I mean, right? They're just the, the, your, your, the experience you have from the taste of the pudding is more powerful than the experience most of us have from putting on filling. Does that mean putting on filling is not... Putting on filling is amazing. And if we learn enough chassidus, we'll appreciate it. But it still isn't as, as naturally powerful as the taste of unbelievably good chocolate ice cream on a hot day. I mean, right? It's pretty real. Never Shabbos gets what it wants. The goal has been scored. The fans are going wild. Right? What does the visiting team always say? What's the first thing they have to do to win the game in the other person's stadium? Take the fans out of the game. How do you do that? You score first. They get nervous. They get quiet. What does that mean? Get up in the morning, say Meida Ani, wash Nagelwasser, learn some chassidus, go to mikveh, score first, focus on godly things, first thing, and what'll happen? My consciousness won't be as easily swayed by the enticements of the pleasures of this world, and will probably be able to maintain a little closer connection to something more real. That doesn't mean there won't be times when I'll fall, when I won't, when I'll lose contact with other things, so that, that happens. Okay. But we'll have a fighting chance. That's what every coach says. You've got to take the, the crowd out of the game. Very few things harder, I can't imagine. I mean, I think about it. I've never experienced it. I can't imagine it's very easy to be an athlete trying to do what you've been trained to do when you have 20,000 people screaming that you should fail. That must be pretty hard to deal with. And you got to be pretty good to deal with that. And I think most of us are amazed at the guys who can just shut that out and do their thing. And there's 20,000 people with all that energy hoping you're going to fail. Or 50 or 60 or 70,000 people if it's an open stadium. Oh, that must be hard to deal with if you're the, this little guy on the pitch running around, you know, 50,000 liver pudlians screaming at you that you should fail. Right? Try playing as the opposite team in Enfield. Right? They say it's one of the hardest things in the world to do. Right? The proof is in the pudding. Even Messi couldn't do it. <laughs> okay. Must be very difficult. Okay, that's Elam Hazar for the Nishoma. There's all this noise for everything else. The Nevesh Bamis has to somehow figure out how to turn off the noise and focus on what's real. The Nevesh keeps. But we have to get the Nevesh Bamis on board or else we lose. Uh-oh, guys. Uh... I think we're lost. Aye. 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 Okay.
It's all right. The Nevesh is one, huh? Vehem yalimu v'yestiel ar neshama. Cholzeis, nevertheless, tifal and neshama, the neshama must act and bring about a bidur, a rectification, v'zikuch, and a purification of the goof. So the goof, the body, can be involved in all sorts of positive, incredible, amazing, and godly things. Venevish abamis and the animal soul. That doesn't mean the animal. That doesn't mean we don't eat, we don't work, we don't go, to, we don't do all those things that are necessary to do in elamaza. That is not what the, the, the rabbi is talking about. I'm talking about doing it.
Okay. Vazeo, and this is what it means, Vaasuli Migdash Vishakanti Basaikha. And this is what it means, they should build for me a Migdash and I will dwell. It doesn't say I'll dwell in it, but I'll dwell amongst them. What does that mean? In each and every one, that each and every one of us can develop a certain godly consciousness. That we, we're conscious of a reality beyond that which we see and we try to touch that. That which we see is just a veneer and behind it, in it, so to speak, is something so much deeper. Like your relationship with people that you really care about. What do you see when you see that person? You see their inside. You see who they really are, not simply their external reality. It doesn't mean their external reality is negative. <coughs> wonderful. But you see something so much deeper there. Right? So you care about that person. Vuhu. How is it that we come to that state? Vuhu al It's through the, the work this work of rectification, trying to elevate reality, which means elevating ourselves, our own conscious reality, connecting it to something transcendent of us. First, iskafia, subduing the negative natural impulses of the Nefesh Bahamis, and ultimately, transforming it so that our natural inclination will be to connect to godly things. Our natural inclination, what, 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 we, we, when, when we educate our children, what do we educate our children to do, which is not a natural thing for a child to do, to say please and thank you. Till hopefully, as they grow up in our house, when they leave our house, saying please and thank you is natural. They, would ne they never ask for anything without saying please, and they never get anything without saying thank you. It becomes who they are. Is that natural? No. How do you know? Because there's lots of people who weren't taught that that's normal, and so they don't do that. Right? Would you like a plate? Yes. You hear someone say that and it just, whoa, it's like so, it, what happened to please? Yes, please, or yes, thank you. In that case, you could do either one because someone's offering you something. Without that thank you, without that please, it sounds like they didn't say anything, right? If you're trained a certain way, if you're not. So then you don't even hear it, right? That's his half. You've changed, right? We've all changed. I mean, there's two of us in this room who've gone through, uh, if we've changed in the last uh, 15 years, it's been relatively subtle, right? Whereas most of you sitting in this room, the changes in the last 15 years of your life have been unbelievably <laughs> stark and revealed, right? I mean, there's people in this room who were five 15 years ago. Okay, so your little five-year-old every now and then will still make in his pants when he gets excited. Right. Okay. In 15 years, you've come a long way. Okay. What's the real challenge? Most of that change, not all of it. Most of it, God did. You just went to sleep and woke up and went to sleep and woke up and all these changes happened. Not all of them. But a lot of them. Most of them. Okay. Next 15 years is the real challenge. God stops with most of the obvious changes. Okay, you know, you're going to put on five kilos on your belly and, and you'll, you'll uh, you know, yeah, at some point you'll start changing color, which is cool, but it just doesn't go back. If it went back, it would be better. It just, you know, it's nice to experience for a while and then, you know, let it go back to what it was. It doesn't do that. <laughs> but whatever. So, 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 you know, there's Peseta. You'll, you'll get a little slower. The jump shot won't quite make it as far and it'll hit the front rim. Okay, fine. That'll happen. <laughs> All right? Then you retire. By the team. So, but, but, but it, 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 there'll be changes, but they're very subtle. But the, the real changes you make over the next 15 years are the changes you make in yourself. Are you, a, are you different as a 35-year-old than as a 20-year-old? I'm just picking 20. I know most of you are older than that, but whatever. I'm just picking that number. Right? Are you older as a 35-year-old than a 20-year-old? Are you basically a 20-year-old in a 35-year-old body, which is really, really depressing? 
What does a guy want out of life? Exactly the same things he wants when he was 20. He's more limited now. He's got a wife. He's got children. Finds that very limiting. What's wrong with you? Don't you understand a wife and her children are an unbelievable bracha and you should feel that you, you, you're on a whole new level of reality. That you're, it's, This isn't limiting you from you know, picking up every co-ed you see on the street. This is, this is allowing you to express yourself in such a deeper and more sophisticated way, doing something so incredible, being responsible for the welfare of all these little neshamas that live, live in your house. What an unbelievable thing. Well, if the guy's 35 in his head, so then he'll appreciate that. If he's still 20 in his head, he just happens to be in a 35-year-old, so he'll see this as incredibly limiting, and he can't go on holiday whenever he wants. What's wrong with you? Gee, I used to be able to go just, you know, take off and go to Thailand for Pesach if I wanted to, and now I can't. Oh, it's very limiting. What rock did you just crawl out from under? What's wrong with you? You're 35 years old. Don't you understand all these incredible opportunities that life has afforded you in the last 15 years that you've taken advantage? You found a wife that you like and, you, and, you, and, and, uh, and children that you, you, don't, you, know, you don't even know what love is until you had them and you can't even imagine what life would be without them. And it's uh, unbelievable, incredible things. Challenges? Well, of course challenges. Difficult? Very difficult. It's only one thing more difficult. Not having a wife and not having children. That's really difficult because then the person is just like, alone and like who knows what they're doing right. that's really difficult a wife and children difficult everything's difficult getting a college degree is difficult everything's difficult but it's okay <laughs> all we do is focus on the difficulty no focus on the opportunity of it all and then it's an amazing journey it's incredible it's, it's, it's quite a kick does it always work the way we want no do you have to cry like that girl walking up the street in Svas? No. Right. My bag's too heavy and I don't know where the bus is. And I, oh, come on, get a life, girl. Right. The guys know what I'm talking about. We talked about some young lady who I ran into the other day. No, okay. Things happen exactly the way we want all the time. Of course not. So what? Deal with it. Go to the safe room. Everything will be okay. What's the Aveda? Aveda is Birudim, but beginning is Kafi, is Hafka, ultimately transforming, uh, uh, subduing, but then transforming. We'll find a place to stop in a minute. Kemaimer, like the Maimer Chazal, which we're about to explain. We'll pick up tomorrow morning. We're going to explain this Maimer. First, let's see what it is. Kemaimer, like the Alter Rebbe, I'm sorry, not Chazal. The Alter Rebbe. In Tanya, Kadiskafia Sitra Achra. When you subdue the sitra achra, when you subdue negative impulses, istalik almin. Now, simple pshat, it goes out the glory of a Baruch Hu in all of the worlds. In other words, you bring about an incredible revelation of godliness in the worlds. What's this sitra achra? What's this negative impulse? It's a negative impulse that wants you to express reality within the context of some experience of separateness. I'm separate from God. Even if I know there's a God, but, I, but, but, but I'm separate from Him. He, he's there, I'm here, and I'm very, very powerfully aware of my own existence. And this is the Nefesh Bahamis. This is the experience God gave us. He gave us an incredibly powerful experience of self. That's what it means to be alive, right? Wake up in the morning. Who's there? Me. It's me again. Right? Okay. Very powerful. So I, how, do I, how do I dance with that experience? Okay, so what if I have a desire that's coming from that experience to express self in a way that's negative and, and, and unhealthy? So I can overcome that. When I overcome that, what am I doing? I'm bringing about a very, very powerful revelation of godliness in the world because I ever overcame that by, by virtue of my sense. I fought through that and, and, remain, and remained and retained some sort of sensitivity to something bigger than that, more important than that, more grand than that, more beautiful than that, healthier than that, more real than that. Oh, hard? Oh, of course it's hard. Can it be done? Of course it can be done. And the Rebbe will explain what that statement means because we, ex we translated it in a way that's ultimately not right. That you'll bring about a revelation of godliness in all of the worlds. The Rebbe is going to explain that those, those words in all of the worlds really define what kind of light it is. And we'll see 
what we'll, what we'll learn next, in the next part of the Mimer, is the difference between two different levels of godly light, godly energy, or seivev, infinite godly light, that's too powerful to be the source of the existence that you and I experience, and then the level of light called ormamale, the light that fills creation, meaning the light, godly light that's responsible for the existence, the, the creation of this world and also metaphysical worlds. We'll learn about the four worlds. Okay, two different levels of godly light. Infinite and imminent godly light. The light that's responsible for the existence of this table as opposed to a light that's too powerful to be expressed in such a finite and limited way. Okay, we'll go there tomorrow.